Welcome everybody to the Armchair Trader podcast. This morning it's Stuart Fieldhouse and Michael Morton from the Armchair Trader and today we have Dan Blondel, CEO of Nano One, the specialist battery technology manufacturer who's come all the way today from snowy Canada to talk to us about uh, the latest breakthroughs in battery technology. We're big fans of this company, needless to say, um, but we want to take the opportunity today to put some questions to the man himself and uh, give the investors out there a little bit more perspective on what's going on at Nano One. So welcome, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. We wanted to really start by asking you a little bit about um, the actual core technology. I mean, Nano One is a, if you say it's a battery company, that's a little bit simplistic. What is it that's special about the business and and why do you think it's revolutionary? So, I mean, well, first of all, I'll, I'll qualify. We, Nano One is not a battery company. We make batteries for testing purposes and stuff, but we make the uh, we're designing systems to improve the cathode materials that go into batteries. So uh, we are essentially a technology supplier into the battery field. So you'd say it's more battery materials. It is battery materials, yeah. yes. But it's where where uh, specialty sources of lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese get um, combined into the active material that goes into a battery. So we're making composite materials of lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese, or lithium, iron, and phosphate. To, um, and those are the, that's actually what eventually goes into the battery. Right. And, and basically, that the, the components that you're working with, you, those go into the battery, and they make the battery longer lasting, more energy efficient. Uh, yes, so so the uh, from a, a value uh, add point of view, what we've done is we've developed a process for combining the, the raw materials into these cathode materials, and it improves the cost structure by uh, first of all by enabling uh, alternative raw materials. So that you know, lithium comes in various forms, as does cobalt, nickel, and manganese. So we're trying to uh, we're trying to uh, widen that scope of available materials, and there, thereby simplify the supply chain and drive down costs. We've We've eliminated a number of steps. There's often a, a preliminary step where nickel, manganese, and cobalt are combined first before lithium's added in. We do it all at once, so that eliminates, it actually d doesn't just eliminate a step, it eliminates a, a middleman quite often. So quite often it's done by a third party. And then there's a coding step that happens afterwards, specifically with the, the, the high performance materials that's to protect it mm -hmm. um, inside the uh, uh, inside the, the battery. And that coating is added in with lithium, nickel, manganese. So we actually eliminate the, the step as well. So we take three steps, combine them into one. That simplifies the process. So there's cost savings there. And then ultimately, uh, the material that comes out, which is uh, you've got four or five powders going in, you've got one powder coming out, and that powder is uh, uh, structured differently. It's got the same ingredients. It's still got lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt, and whatever cobalt, uh, whatever coating materials you have. But the, uh, the powders themselves are what we would call nanocrystalline or single crystal. So they're pure crystals. There's no sort of grain. There's no uh, agglomeration in grain boundaries. And that, and that actually leads to a longer lasting battery material. So it protects it from some of the degradation mechanisms in the battery. So one of the goals there is to make a longer lasting battery that lasts many more cycles than, uh, than currently. And this is, t I mean, this is something, if you take something like a mobile phone, for example, like my iPhone, you can see how a battery degrades over time. You yes. keep recharging it, but eventually it becomes less and less efficient, and then you end up spending a lot of money to replace it. Mm -hmm. And and what you're talking about here is a process that is actually going to make batteries like that a lot more efficient. 
Yeah, to last longer. Now, I don't think Apple or, or, or Samsung are going to want you to uh, want a 10-year battery in their, in their no. so they, they will purposely <laughs> design it to be kind of within that two, three-year life cycle of the, yeah. of the phone. But uh, when you get into electric vehicle and industrial applications, it's all about the total co cost of ownership of that battery. How, how many cycles can you get out of it? And that defines the amount of energy that's, that's stored and, and distributed in the battery over its lifetime. Particularly important to the, to the industrial space for like electric buses or grid storage, but it's also very important to the automotive space because that defines the warranty on the battery. And, and that warranty is really where they start. They need a battery to last so long, and they design it to last that long, and uh, and then they they'll expand it to deal with range and, and various other things. But uh, but so obviously, if you can make a longer-lasting battery, you give the you give the manufacturer more room to play with the with the same package of battery, and could actually lead to more mileage on the battery as well, simply because they don't have to derate it as much, um, and they uh, they can squeeze more out of a out of a single package. One of the reasons we love um, uh, Nano One here at the Armchair Trader is uh, uh, the idea of, uh, of the environmental uh, impact um, potentially um, uh, that, that you guys can offer. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about sort of how it would work in the real world? Well, I think uh, actually we, we have um, we've had uh, funding for the last three years uh, from Sustainable Development Technology Canada, which is a, a clean tech investment arm of the Canadian government. And we've just announced earlier this year another $5 million in three years' worth of investment from them. And that's all vetted um, on sort of clean tech, greenhouse gas emissions. That's where you have to meet all these kind of uh, these criteria in order to, to be uh, eligible for the funding. And really what our, uh, you know, part of that story to, to SDTC is that by enabling, um, by enabling lithium-ion batteries to be adopted quicker, we can actually accelerate the adoption of, of electric vehicles and industrial applications. So that has a, a net impact on greenhouse gas emissions. But ultimately, if we can make the battery materials last longer, then per, per kilogram or per ton of material, um, uh, that material is actually in service longer and is, is delivering more kilowatt hours over its lifetime. Um, then the uh, the net improvement on emissions is is, uh, is much better. Oh, that's great. Well, uh, what uh, what's interesting is uh, is, is some of the uh, partners that you're uh, um, that you're sort of working with at the moment. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about some of those guys? So, so we have we have three partners we're currently working with. And, uh, the first most notable name is Volkswagen, and with Volkswagen we're working on next generation high energy density materials for for uh, automotive applications. And we're working on improving the longevity, as we talked about a little bit earlier. So these sort of coatings and single crystals and, and, and various other things. And we're working with them and a number of other undisclosed parties on that front. Uh, we also have a partnership with a company called Puli Technology in China. And uh, they are a uh, producer of cathode materials. Uh, they produce lithium iron phosphate. They produce lithium cobalt oxide, um, which is what goes into iPhones and, and, and materials like that. Um, but our, our focus with them is on the lithium iron phosphate, which would be used in, in, in batteries for electric buses, for uh, grid storage applications, and even quite possibly for replacement on lead-acid batteries. So they have very big ambitions to, uh, to scale up production, and they came to us and asked us to, to help them with their next generation of, of uh, cathode line manufacturing. And so we would insert our technology into their line. And so the object there is to get to a, a stage where we define the next generation of production using our technology and we would license the technology to them to use on their production line.
Fantastic. So that's uh, that's number two. And then the third one is, is a company called St. Cobain, which I'm sure most people on um, uh, on this uh, side of the Atlantic are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, a very large glass company, been around for many, many years. Um, they specialize also in ceramics. And uh, we're working with them on the final stage of cathode production, where uh, the cathode powders, once they're all prepared, uh, they get fired in a kiln. And in that kiln, they get brought up to six, seven, eight hundred degrees. It depends a little bit on the chemistry you're working with. And, and, there's, uh, and we're working on the interactions between the furnace and the furnace materials and the cathode materials to improve the efficiency of firing. Wow, well, there's three fantastic companies mm-hmm. um, that you're speaking to. Um, we, we talked sort of uh, off air before this uh, that there were some sort of potential other opportunities in the uh, in the pipeline. Is there anything you could could tell us on, well, on those? Well, of course, as a public company, I have to be uh, careful about who we, who we're talking about. Um, we're under NDA with most players, but um, we have a pipeline of, of uh, you know we were as I was telling you we were, had some strategic meetings the other day and we had 28 names up on the board. That's fantastic. Of, of, of Players and, and of course our focus is is on the ones that are going to be most you know most meaningful to us. But uh, a, a good chunk of those are household names, either in the automotive or the or the, the, the chemical uh, space and material space. These are all companies that people know, and they're they're you know we built a, we've been building a reputation, and I think uh, most recently uh, I think I think the work uh, we're doing on these uh, uh, on these longer lasting NMC materials that the, the the development work there has attracted a lot of so uh, over the last three months, we've had just a, we've been inundated with incoming calls uh, from large automotives and, and chemical companies. Well, that was interesting because there was uh, um, something came out in uh, in September um, about the, uh, the, the the first million mile uh, battery um, in operation. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, actually, funny enough, that came out just after we met with you, Stuart, um, uh, earlier uh, back in September, and. We were uh, we were literally on the plane home uh, when we when we saw that news and we were kind of read through it and said oh this is actually going to be good for us so I'll tell you what it's about so so Jeff uh, Jeff Don is is a researcher very uh, a, a very uh, highly reputable researcher out of Dalhousie University in Canada and um, uh, they are currently funded all of their research is funded by Tesla. So they are Tesla's one of major um, uh, researchers. His research is focused on the electrolytes in the in the in the battery material. So what he does is test many many different electrolytes and develop electrolytes to improve the the, the efficiency and and, uh, and and try to reduce some of the side reactions to the battery. I'm, I'm probably not doing it service. So sorry, Jeff. <laughs> but uh, but um, uh, he's uh, he has a tremendously tremendous reputation. In the and what he came, what he did in this particular study uh, over over th- a three-year period, he he took a um, a pre-made battery that had no electrolyte in it, and and tested a whole bunch of different electrolytes running the battery at higher voltage and higher sort of uh, higher energy levels to see how long it would last. And um, the materials that he chose to put in the battery um, came out of. If you read the paper, you'll you realize that the, those materials and those but those cells were manufactured for him in China, and they used a single, uh, what he called a single crystal cathode material. What that means is that the little particles of powder are each little particle is one whole sort of crystal, and uh, which means that uh, that if you break it open within, all of all of the atoms are all lined up in the same direction all the way through the particle. And how that differs from the way industry makes them today. Industry will tend to make a, a, a sort of a larger, um, hard, crunchy, 
a ball of lithium, nickel, manganese, and cobalt. And if you break it open, there's crystals in it, but they're all faceted in, in this. So there, there may be hundreds or thousands of little crystals uh, sort of stuck in there with little grain boundaries between them. And those grain boundaries are where the, the cathode material fails. So as you, as you crush it onto the foils before you assemble it into the battery, those little, little balls kind of break open. And, uh, and as you cycle the battery, as you move lithium in and out, the, uh, uh, the, the crystals actually swell and contract. And as they swell, because lithium causes the, the, the layers to push open a little bit, right. and as you pull it out, they, 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 they shrink. And as you do that, it causes stresses along those grain boundaries, and they crack even further open. Yeah. And that exposes everything inside, the, inside that particle to uh, side reactions within the battery. When you go to a pure crystalline cathode material, you don't have any of those grain boundaries, so it doesn't, it doesn't break open. And you're able to sort of compress it onto the foils without breaking them open as well. And that leads to a, a, a longer lasting battery. If you can apply a coating to the outside, you protect everything from side reactions and that coating stays intact because everything because the particle stays intact. Yeah, okay. And so I, I hope that hopefully that's that sort of clears it. That's kind of what uh, that's the cathode material that he chose to use in there. And it just so happens that Nano One had we we'd um, We'd announced a patent um, in early August uh, with our, our nano crystalline or single crystal particles, and we uh, uh, so we have a patent covering the particle and the coating that goes around that particle and the process to make it. And our process is able to do it at a very low cost, and so that's be uh, that's become a very big sort of attraction for us. So that paper, uh, that Tesla paper, basically. Uh, there was a big splash in the news about it, and, and lots of people very interested. It's pretty significant. Yeah, and, and we're starting. We're seeing a ver certainly very big strategic engagement on the on the back of that, mm -hmm. on the back of our uh, back of our uh, technology as well. You mentioned patents there, Dan. Yes. Obviously, that's that's an important part of the technology that you mm -hmm. actually own the patents. Can mm -hmm. you give us a bit more background on? the patents you have at the moment or that you're yes, in so, the process of applying so, for? So we've got 14 or 15 patents right now by last count uh, that are issued in, in China, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Canada, the US, uh, soon to be in Europe. Um, the Europe just always takes a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And those patents cover the, the process, which is how do we combine the lithium, nickel, manganese, and cobalt together. And, and, and so it's the, it's the, the, the way we combine them. And then it also covers the materials that are made. So we define those materials. So what does this, if you look under a microscope, what does this material look like? Mm -hmm. So the physical properties of the material. And then it also covers batteries using the materials, using the process made with the materials, to make the materials. And that covers the sort of full gamut. That's a very common strategy for, um, for patent protection. Uh, you not only protect the, you know, the core process, but you, can, you, you protect it. It's a bit like a, this, a, they call it intellectual property because it is very much like a piece of property. You, you're buying up little pieces of land and you're protecting all the way around. You're kind of ring fencing your technology with a whole bunch of other bits of technology. So it's a really key part of what we're doing. We probably have another 30 patents in the pipe right now oh, right, that, okay. that, are, uh, that are in various stages of, uh, of, uh, of pending and, 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 and being released. So you can expect to see patents kind of continually rolling out of Nano One. We've got uh, enough in the pipe that uh, they'll continue to come. And you mentioned also the cost factor of um, battery manufacturing and how the technology could potentially introduce um, some cost savings. I know that um, the Congo is a big producer of cobalt. Um, does this, does this, does the Nano One technology mean that battery manufacturers won't need to be as dependent on higher cobalt prices? 
certainly if, if we can make um, materials longer lasting we mm -hmm. can push the boundaries on on thrifting out cobalt may, I may have to kind of back up and explain what unpack it had for you a little bit um, so ideally we'd all be using lithium nickel oxide batteries but they're very unstable so right. nickel doesn't like to be on its own it's uh, uh, sort of in that crystal structure I described it doesn't yeah. it wants to bust break open as you as you drive the voltage up and down and cobalt's actually stable helps stabilize it and that was all developed back in the, in the 90s and so cobalt is an essential component to any sort of nickel bearing um, lithium ion batteries um, however uh, and, and well and actually what happened was that the industry kind of decided okay well let's use equal amounts of nickel manganese and cobalt and that leads to a, a fairly robust um, lithium ion battery but as you take the cobalt out the the, the energy density goes up mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and, the, and the voltage goes up however um, the stability goes down, which means it doesn't last as long. Going back to your iPhone example, instead of lasting, you know, three years, it lasts a year. Mm -hmm. So um, you just don't get as many cycles out of the battery, and um, that. Uh, so getting rid of the cobalt is, um, is is difficult to do because it impacts the stability of the battery. If you can make a longer-lasting battery, then you can push those boundaries more. So we believe that uh, by making longer lasting sort of coated single crystal cathode materials, we can actually push more towards a low cobalt battery. Right, and, and, and do you, what sort of impact will that have? Will that mean that batteries could become cheaper or? Um, I, I, obviously, obviously cobalt can be, uh, depending on the price of cobalt, it mm. be, it's often the most expensive component yeah, in, exactly. in, in the battery. Um, but I think ultimately when you, when you take that all the way back to the, to the, the battery pack, um, it's going to measure, it's going to be down in single digit percentages if you're, right. if you're lowering the, the cost of the cobalt. But um, supply, of, um, supply of cobalt is a really big risk. Yeah. as well and I think that's uh, the automotive um, companies are that's what they're most worried about can I have a secure supply of cobalt um, because I'm gonna I'm gonna build a battery manufacturing line based on this chemistry and I'm gonna build my my whole uh, battery management system the charging and the cooling and the heating based on a certain chemistry yeah. Yeah. and and uh, if they're gonna commit to that they gotta know that they got, they've got this sort of secure secure raw materials so uh, if we can help cut that down we can help we can help them drive the cost of the whole battery down as well. Um, and so it's not just the cobalt price uh, and the elimination of the cobalt um, pricing, it's also the impact on the whole battery pack. So by making a more stable material, essentially you can actually simplify battery management systems in the whole works. Looking forward, we could, you, know, you can see a situation where there are going to be more and more electric cars on the road. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to happen. That's certainly going to happen here in Europe. Somewhere like the Congo, which has a large slice of the global cobalt market, would potentially be the you know the net, the Saudi Arabia of the twenty first century. Yes. Given that dependence on raw materials, so I can see how a lot of the big car manufacturers are are, are concerned about this. And mm -hmm. This is obviously a big worry for them. We touched on um, how the technology is going to be potentially rolled out, but can you give us a bit more background, particularly on things like the the, the Volkswagen partnership because it seems to me that the electric car industry is going to be heavily reliant on this this kind of technology in order to fulfill many of not just the ambitions but just the day-to-day -day operational requirements that mm -hmm. they have to address. Well, well with, with Volkswagen, uh, the, what we're working on with them, as I mentioned earlier, is, is, is improving the longevity and stability of these, of these high energy density materials, which basically means um, a higher nickel, less cobalt. Um, 
as you drive up the cobalt. Um, you need to improve stability. So uh, we're working on that with, with them and, and a number of other players. Um, uh, there's a lot of work to do. And, um, and I would say that's kind of, we've got mid-range sort of goals. The process for making them is largely in place. The, uh, the ratios of materials we use, the additives we put in, um, are all being determined now. And so once, uh, once we have a, you know, a, a better idea of what that looks like, uh, then we would move into uh, a more substantive relationship uh, with them and with anyone else. And that would lead to um, uh, give us a lot more sight lines on, on, the, on the, kind of the deployment of that technology. What we're doing in China is much closer to production because that's uh, we're not we're not tweaking the the we're not tweaking the recipe. Um, we're simply just designing the manufacturing plant. And the idea is that will roll out uh, quite quickly. So we could see something in 2020 there. But uh, that's lithium iron phosphate. That's for uh, it's a different application mm -hmm. on the on the sort of long range electric vehicle side of things. It's going to be a nickel manganese cobalt based uh, material and. Uh, and so finding ways to, to make a superior version of that is what, uh, what we have underway. When you, when you say about midterm um, for uh, Volkswagen, mm -hmm. do you, uh, have you sort of got any idea on timeframes for that? Is it, are you talking sort of three years, five years? Oh, I don't, it I don't, I, a, I, I, it's difficult to put a sort of a, a number on that. Uh, you know, typically these kinds of innovations will roll out in smaller applications like, uh, uh, like consumer electronics first, and that's where, the, 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 that's where the, the, the testing ground is, and then they move into larger and larger batteries and larger and larger brands. Essentially, it's, it's all very sort of brand focused, yeah, right? So, of uh, yeah. So the testing ground usually starts somewhere sort of earlier. Um, the uh, I, th I think uh, you know we're working hard to put uh, put one of these strategic companies like Volkswagen or some of our un other undisclosed parties bring them in as a as a more deeply ingrained partner, and that would be either through sort of contractual arrangements or um, uh, or or, or uh, some kind of an equity investment. And that uh, that we're trying to get done very soon. So I think that's a catalyst. You can, can your, your your listeners certainly expect us, us to be working very hard on over the next six months. Great. Um, uh, in terms of it actually ending up in a battery, uh, these these materials, realistically, um, it's in a development stage right now. Um, it would uh, would have to be adopted into a manufacturing line. You're talking probably uh, out a couple of years. A couple of years before right. it uh, really kind of uh, takes hold. Um, before it actually makes its way into a car, uh, you know, if I, if I said if I said sooner than than uh, three or four years, any of your any of your uh, listeners who understand the car industry would say there's no way because yeah. it does take that it takes that kind of time. They basically they have to be comfortable with it, and then they have to plan for it yeah. um, into their into their next models. So, um, you know, we're, that's uh, that's certainly a few more years out. But it doesn't mean it doesn't get tested in, in, in consumer electronics and other applications first. And the partnerships you have, it takes somewhere like something like the Volkswagen partnership. That's obviously not um, an exclusive one. I mean, you could end up partnering with other yes. car manufacturers, for example. So, so we, we basically, we have our base technology, our intellectual property, our, our, our patents all kind of in place. And they're ours and ours to use however we want. So we uh, have not signed any sort of exclusivity agreements on, on any of that material. So we are working on... A, a component, a tendril of technology with Volkswagen and other other people, but and those are unique to those parties, mm -hmm. and of course we you know we have to keep those um, very confidential. But um, but what we do with other parties is is up to us. So, so it's yeah. not limited at all to. At, at this stage, anybody. we have no sort of limitations at all in our uh, in our uh, in our strategic objectives and who we work with. So. 
and, and as a result, we're working very hard with this list of 28 uh, names um, uh, to bring on more partners. And, mm -hmm. and so that's another thing that, uh, again, your listeners can expect to see is we'll, there'll be more partnership announcements as we, uh, as, we, uh, as we push this technology further and further. China in the, uh, in, in the short term mm -hmm. um, is an interesting one. What uh, processes do you have in, in place for scaling up? So in, in China, we've, there's really, we have three objectives we're pursuing with Pulid right now. Um, at, the, at the technical level, we are testing out the materials and the processes to make sure they're robust and, and scalable. And we've largely done that internally at Nano One and at, and at Pulid. So we're actually very comfortable with the, the preparation stage where everything gets mixed in our reactor. And we're very comfortable with the firing stage where everything's fired in the furnace. And, and we've, um, so we're... we're uh, that's mostly de-risked and then we're looking at supply chain so where does your iron and your phosphorus and your lithium come from lithium is mm. largely taken care of actually Pulit is also a lithium producer so that wow. uh, is relatively Great. that's a relatively simple um, step to make and what we've done is we've sourced an alternative uh, type of, of iron so iron comes in many forms of course mm -hmm. so you can have you know iron phosphates and iron sulfates and iron oxides and iron you know there's, there's many different types so what we've done is is we have uh, found an alternative source of iron that gets rid of the middleman. So what happens in China today is iron sulfate is uh, upgraded to iron phosphate by a, uh, a middleman. So there's, a, there's a sort of an intermediate step. And it's just iron and phosphate uh, that comes out. So it's highly purified iron phosphate that will go to a cathode producer who will mix it with lithium and then cook it in the furnace and then coat it with carbon. Okay. Um, and and that's kind of how the materials are made. I'm simplifying it vastly, but um, in our in our process, we take our source of iron and phosphate and lithium and the carbon coating, and it all goes into one bucket essentially. Um, and that's where our proprietary process is. I don't mean to sort of uh, uh, simplify it, but that our our process is essentially a stirred uh, it's a stirred reactor, and it's the elegance of the chemistry and everything that uh, where, where the intellectual property is. Okay. And and that allows us to eliminate iron phosphate producer which drives down the cost so we're aiming to be somewhere uh, somewhere between 10 and 20 percent cost reduction in uh, for the production of lithium iron phosphate and can you can you tell us a little bit about your what your revenue streams look like at the moment and, and how you sort of project I mean I know you can't make too many forward-looking statements but um, from just the perspective of the profitability of the business where it is now and, and where you'd like to see it perhaps Yes. So at, at this point, we have no revenue. We're mm -hmm. definitely a pre-revenue company. And um, um, let me let me start with China because that's actually got, that's the nearest uh, uh, it's got the nearest sight lines to, to revenue and profitability. So if um, uh, if our if we if we execute on our goals for the lithium iron phosphate, that market itself is right now sitting at roughly a billion dollars, and it's projected to expand to two billion dollars. That's just in black powdered lithium iron phosphate. Numbers. So it's a $2 billion market in 2025. Um, we have seen in the past that uh, new uh, manufacturing innovations get rolled through the whole industry. So we believe we can, you know, we know that, whole industry, that whole part of the market is accessible to us. Um, from the savings we are projecting, we think um, that uh, we could be commanding somewhere between a 3 to 5% royalty. So three to five percent royalty on two billion dollars is um, uh, is sixty to to hundred million dollars of revenue a year if we 
access the whole market. Of course, it, we can't. It's a, a lot of money for. It, a, it's a lot of money. Relatively small business. Yeah, and, and, and we're not a because we're a it's a it's a licensing model in that case. Mm -hmm. um, our cost to um, to run that is relatively low. And right mm -hmm. now, we burn uh, approximately four uh, four million dollars a year. It's very very, very modest um, uh, amount of cash going out the door. Yeah. and and if. Uh, and we'll probably be up to five or six million over the next couple of years. But really, it doesn't get much bigger than that because we, we have a pilot plant already built and, and largely paid for. Yeah. There's, expand, there's a little bit of expansion and there's always going to be tweaking there and equipment. We need a bigger lab. We need a few things like that. But by and large, our, our operating costs are, are pretty fixed. And as we take on more... As we take on more partners and more license deals, um, really uh, we have very, very you know, sort of high margins. That's the opportunity. Yeah, that's the opportunity, and and then um, NMC. So the, these NMC materials in the that's a that's a twenty billion dollar market in twenty twenty five. Right. So it's ten times the size of LFP, and uh, I would say it's, that's a much more competitive market. But um, uh, uh, if we can bring transformative materials like these longer lasting materials, that just changes the game completely. All of a sudden, people are going to have to use a, you know, there's going to be different uh, raw materials going in. So nickel, manganese, cobalt, and even even lithium will come in in different forms using our process, and that's quite disruptive. Uh, that'll help drive down costs, and if it makes it a longer-lasting material, and, and if you're getting two, three times more cycles out of the battery, all of a sudden your dollars per kilowatt hour in terms of the calendar life um, goes way down. And that transformation, we believe, can lead to a, a fairly uh, healthy, um, healthy market share for for Nano One yeah. and our technology. So it, again, that that could we could be looking at uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in revenue over the next uh, few years as it as it gets adopted. And this is something I just wanted to emphasize this to our listeners. It's not. Some of them will probably still be sitting there thinking, but you know, Dan, what, the, what can you meet that kind of scale? But really, you're you're really the technology. Yes. You're not the. It's not like you're going to have to go out and set up new factories in Canada or things like that. But your partners are the ones who, who have the, the scalability and the manufacturing. Uh, you know, I, absolutely. So so we're not looking to be a cathode powder manufacturer. I mean, it, we may we may at times go into a joint venture, and and there's certainly there are some considerations there. And, but in the joint venture, we would be the technology provider, and we wouldn't be, you know, in all likelihood, we're not going to be the supply chain management uh, guys, and we're not going to be the manufacturer, and we're not going to be the sales team for the materials. That's largely going to be owned by uh, by whoever is the manufacturer. Um, we are technology supplier into that. So, so in that sense, it's imminently scalable mm -hmm. um, um, from a, from a business point of view. Um, we have to prove scale of the of the technology in a manufacturing platform. So we're right now. For instance, in China, we've got, um, by the end of this year, we should actually have our, what we call our level two engineering plans in place, which means you've got everything specced out except where you're going to put it. So when you put it somewhere, um, then you have to meet regulatory and environmental uh, uh, regulation that's going to, it's very, very site specific. So then there's some changes that usually have to happen at that point. So we're, again, we're, we've, we've moved the engineering along uh, substantially. Uh, and it's, it's, it's more or less kind of ready to go. Um, building a plant would require us to bring in an engineering firm to do all the detailed engineering work. We're not going to do it. Yeah. And, and obviously there's some, there's some cost that we would bear on that, but so would the, uh, so the other players. But, but by and large, it, it should pale in comparison to the royalties. So all of, all of the value that Nano has created is very, very much done. It's done up front. 
and once things start to roll, then uh, then of course the profitability uh, should speak for itself. You're a listed company in um, in Canada, aren't you? Yes, we're so we're uh, we're listed on the TSX Venture Exchange. NNO is mm -hmm. the uh, is the ticker. I mean, I know you got you got financing from the Canadian government itself. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there are many technology companies out there that are that are privately financed, say by venture capital or private mm -hmm. private equity, for example. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's rarer to see pioneering technology of this kind being available to investors to actually buy shares. Mm -hmm. What was the rationale behind going with a, a listing? Well, well, the simple answer is access to capital. Um, I think at the time it made it made most sense. So the what we saw at that time that as we were as we were building the company up, we saw a. a the private venture capital community was completely backing out of batteries and materials, and um, and so there was really no access there. And we saw, uh, but what, what we did see in the in the public markets was an appetite for anything to do with uh, with batteries and battery materials. So it made a lot of sense. So that's uh, I mean that's the simple mm -hmm. that's the simple answer. And I, I think by and large it's been pretty good for us. Um, we, you know, we continue to be pretty, pretty happy with the results. We've raised, just uh, privately, we raised $3 million before we took the company through a reverse takeover in 2015. And, uh, and if you total that with all the other monies we've raised, it's about $15 million. Um, the Canadian government money, which is all non-dilutive, non-repayable, um, uh, that amounts to another 10. So all told, there's, there's roughly uh, $25 million raised. Of which there's still there's still another basically another five million to spend from the Canadian government. So we've just begun that process. So. And if you're uh, if you're a UK or European investor, where would you go to uh, to, to to look at investing? In well, the you can you can. I mean, this is obviously a Canadian company, but uh, it's much easier now than it was say 15 years ago for uh, UK and European investors to directly buy North American stocks, um, including Canadian stocks just using um, standard brokerage accounts. We, d we do have a, a, a parallel listing in Frankfurt and, and uh, in the U.S. as well. Um, so the NASDAQ International in the U.S. and the Frankfurt, um, Frankfurt listing in, in as well. So. Well, thanks a lot, Dan. That, that's been really interesting. And um, uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing more about the business as it goes forward. Great. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and your, and your interest in NanoOne. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Be sure to pop by our website, thearmchairtrader.com, for regular daily updates on trading, investment, and financial markets around the world.